Ever wondered who and what is shaping Luxembourg? This is your Lux Unplugged podcast with your hosts, Adrian and Thierry. Hi, I'm Thierry. Hi, I'm Adrian. Welcome back to another episode of the Lux Unplugged podcast. On this occasion, I welcome Steve Collar, CEO at SES. Can you tell us a little bit more about the conversation with Steve, Thierry? Of course, I had a very engaging discussion with Steve. His passion for connecting the whole world through satellites is very inspiring. It goes from cruise ships to the most remote places on the planet. SES has had a very successful story since they launched back in the 80s. As you will hear, Luxembourg has a leading satellite operator whose global influence is quite breathtaking. But now, without further ado, my conversation with Steve Collar, CEO at SES. Hello, Steve. Hi. So for those who don't know you, how would you introduce yourself? So I'm a space geek. I've been in satellites for 27 years. Um, I'm currently running SES, which I every day feels like a privilege. Um, I'm British. I'm uh, the father of a 13-year-old daughter and a big Liverpool fan. Obviously, for those who, who don't know um, SES, uh, we will go into this in, in a little while. But um, can you tell our listeners why you chose this career choice? Yeah, it was, it was something that happened almost by accident. I was um, a, an engineer by training, so I uh, studied mechanical engineering at university and was always interested in aerospace. So that was kind of a passion for me. But it was actually more the aero than the space. And so I, I sort of worked uh, while I was at university. I worked for um, an aerospace company. And when I came to be hired by that company, they were laying people off. And so they said, well, look, we don't have a job for you. But the guys down the road do. And the guys down the road happened to be a space company. So it was uh, part of Marconi originally. And that became Matra Marconi. So a French, Anglo-French company. So I worked there. That became Astrium, which became Airbus. So the company I worked for for 10 years became Airbus. Um, and during that time, I, I got to design and, um, and, and build and work with customers that were launching satellites. And it was just fascinating. And I loved it from the moment I started. And I've stayed in space and in satellites ever since. Okay, and when, when, when was that? So you said so I, 20 years? I graduated in 92. Okay. I worked for, uh, worked for Matrimarconi Space for seven years in the mm. UK um, and then moved to the Netherlands with... So I moved from being part of a satellite uh, manufacturer to satellite operator. So many years ago, Luxembourg uh, made the unusual decision to use its um, sovereign orbital rights for commercial purposes, which has become a success we know of today. How would you describe the success in simple terms? Do you know, I think the SES story is, is really inspiring. This is sort of back in the mid 80s where, you know, and I remember those times uh, as a consumer sitting at home watching TV and the channel lineup was really super limited. It was, you know, in the, at the time, I think in the UK, probably three channels. And suddenly this idea of what would life be like if you had access to an amazing array of content. And SES was the mother or father, however you want to think about it, of satellite TV and access to hundreds and hundreds of channels. And that idea was one that was obviously 
founded here, had by a private company, but massively supported by the government here in Luxembourg, at a time where Luxembourg was reinventing itself. I think one of the great successes of, of Luxembourg is it's reinvented itself many, many times. And being such an integral part of the development of satellite TV and at the center of Europe, I think that has a, a magic to it. It was a startup, it was a huge risk. There were lots of different companies, all kind of with different ideas. And the fact that our idea, SES's idea, the Luxembourg government idea was the one that prevailed, I think is amazing. But the thing that I think about that, you know, in our history was the launch of our first satellite. Um, it was still a very risky venture back then. And then a few months after, the Berlin Wall came down and that you had this global event that was carried around the world and carried, you know, to a large degree on the satellite that we launched. And suddenly the power of a connected experience, everybody seeing the same thing simultaneously and the emotion that that invoked, to me, is the magic of what we do. And whether it's a big event like, you know, the Berlin Wall coming down or me and my mates being able to watch the football, um, you know, wherever we are in the world, th those shared experiences are as important today as they were 35 years ago. Where do you see the biggest growth potential? Um, are there well, different services? I mean, services? so from those early days, we developed, you know, a very, very strong set of customers and neighborhoods. So one of the things about satellite TV is you, uh, in order to sort of generate that, distribution effect you have lots and lots of antennas that are all pointed to the same location and so our orbital locations became very very popular in Germany in the UK in France in Spain uh, and so our business grew from a video distribution standpoint and then we decided to move internationally you know, beyond Europe so we acquired a business in in the US uh, who was distributing video through the cable networks uh, and then we acquired a business that was very international in nature which was the business I was actually part of at the time and and that business was already serving uh, India and Brazil and the Philippines and so all of a sudden we were a global company that was driving video on a global scale and on a global basis and that was kind of the state of of SES in the kind of mid-2000s at which point we then started to deliver data services. So we were then delivering data over satellite, so connectivity rather than video. Uh, and that sort of brings us forward to, to 2019, where two thirds of our business is still video, and a third of our business is to do with connectivity and, and connecting people uh, to the internet and to experiences from an IP perspective rather than from a video perspective. Okay, and you see most of the growth then coming from data I think as, as we look into the future, that's yeah. true. And, and it's something that we recognized um, at SES fairly early, which is that our video business at some point would mature and mm -hmm. become um, you know, stable, but not generate growth for the company. And so we really started to invest fairly heavily on uh, the network side of the business. And so how do we use this amazing, we, we talk about the superpower of satellite being reach, the ability to get to the edge of the network and to the people who are not connected or who are underconnected in exactly the same way as terrestrial solutions find it very easy to get to the sort of the highly populated areas. So our superpower as, a, as an industry, but also as SES is, how can we really connect people at the edge of the network affordably? And that might mean, 
planes in the sky, you know, ships at sea, but also, you know, villages and towns that have poor access to, to the internet. And there's still 4 billion people on the planet who don't have access to the, to the world's kind of, the world's education system, the world's health system. And that I find inspiring and I find it, you know, it drives us every day to make sure that we're delivering uh, great solutions for our customers. So if we look at, um, example, the last five years, what, um, what was your most exciting investment? Well, SES, so SES, like a, as we discussed, kind of as, as SES looked out into the future, it could see this enormous growth in data and I think could see the role that satellite could play Uh, but one of the challenges in delivering data networks is latency in the network, so a, the delay between the request of a, for, a, for information and receiving the information is a problem with data networks. And one of the challenges with geostationary satellites is that they're a long way away from the Earth. And so the, there's, there's a delay between transmitting the data and receiving the data. If you've been on a satellite phone call, you know that you, know, you speak and there's a delay before the other person speaks. And in data networks, that can also be a problem. And so what SES did back in 2009 is it invested in a small startup business that had the idea to bring satellites closer to the Earth and, and reduce the delay associated with data signals. And the company was called O3B, and O3B stands for the other three billion. And it was a reference to the other three billion people in, on the planet who are not connected to the internet. Uh, and so connecting those people with the same experience as they would have if they were connected terrestrially was the ambition of O3B. And SES kind of saw that vision and invested in the business uh, and grew the business from sort of the very early days through kind of full financing to commercial launch in 2013, 2014, until ultimately in 2016, we acquired the business. Uh, and so we've now incorporated that in fully within SES and we've, we've brought the company here to, to Luxembourg. And a couple of years ago, we invested in the next generation system. And so now we've got uh, O3BM power under, under manufacture and it really offers the potential for us to deliver on that vision of connecting people in a really, really affordable way, wherever they are on the planet. And to your point, that need for, I want to be connected wherever I am. It doesn't matter whether I'm on a plane or on a ship or in a remote part of the world. I want access to, you know, my life. Uh, and we're, we're on the threshold, I think, of being able to deliver on that vision. So, yeah, really an exciting um you know, an exciting future, but it was founded in the vision that, that we had as SES back in, in sort of 2009 when we first started to invest meaningfully in how could we use this amazing reach that we have to deliver great experiences to people that aren't well connected. Mm. Okay. Now, what about um, future-proofing the business then? Obviously, when you now mention that you're having a lookout on, on, yeah. on uh, startups that can bring value to SES, um, obviously you won't tell us all your plans for the future, but from a competitive point of view, yeah. um, who are you, I mean, where are your competitors based? China, America, or, or, or Europe? Yeah. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about yeah, that? Yeah, so I mean, in terms of future-proofing, I think it's by embedding innovation in your culture, right? It's, it's making sure that you have an environment where ideas are not only welcomed, but, um, sort of invested in and, and, and that as a company um, we remain absolutely uh, 
driven by innovation, and that's important. I think it's it's making sure that you're not dismissing, uh, you know, the, the idea that will ultimately disrupt you if you're not careful is the idea that you dismissed. Um, and having a bit the ambition to disrupt yourself, to be prepared to sacrifice, you know, a business that you have been in. So in the connectivity space, for example, you know, we're, we're evolving pretty quickly in the satellite world from being pretty niche and pretty expensive. So the kind of data communications that we used to carry over satellite tended to be pretty high end. They would serve governments or they'd serve uh, pretty exotic um, services and they were expensive. But if you want to try and deliver the internet to planes, you've got to change the economics completely and fundamentally change the technology that you use to deliver those services and make them affordable. Because if they're not affordable, then the service won't take off and you won't generate that elasticity. Is that because you're connecting to the internet and it's not static because the plane is moving? The, the, the fact that it's too expensive? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's partly that, but it's also the efficiency of, uh, of connection. There's a massive difference between taking the same feed and sending it to millions of people yep. simultaneously and me taking uh, some IP content and sending it just to you. Mm. So the economics of that are completely different. And what we have to have is satellites which reuse the frequencies a lot in order to generate the economics that allow me to deliver you connectivity at a price of, you know, whatever you're prepared to pay. So if you're on a pay, if you're on a plane and you look at the prices of what it costs to connect, if it's five euros for a couple of hours, you kind of think, yeah, that's probably okay. If it were a hundred euros, it's a problem, right? And so we have to make sure that we're delivering services that enable business cases for our customers and for the providers of, of services on a global basis. Same thing, We, the first um, service that O3B uh, delivered was to the Cook Islands. And so this was an island in the middle of the Pacific that up until that point was really, really poorly served. And so what we brought was a ton of connectivity, uh, connected the island. And it's really interesting, the prime minister of the island still refers to that moment as the moment that uh, the Cook Islands became viable again. What they, were, what they were suffering was a big drain of population. So the young population um, couldn't get educated beyond a certain point. So they would go to New Zealand or to Australia or to... Uh, other parts of Asia to continue their education, in part because they didn't have access to the same resources as anywhere else. But the minute that you bring broadband connectivity in a serious way to an island or a town or a city, uh, people now have access to information that they didn't previously have. And so all of a sudden, that, that those young populations, the kind of the you know, the 20-year-olds or what have you that were moving away stayed in the Cook Islands and had the ability to stay and contribute to the society while still, you know, educating themselves. And that was magic for me, the fact that we could have that kind of an impact on a place. Um, but in order to do that, you've got to be delivering services in an affordable way. If no one can afford the service that you deliver, then it's a problem. So, um, yeah, it's, 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 and we had to completely change the technology that we were using to deliver those services in order to make them affordable. So if you say that um, it was really exciting, are there some moments in, in the last couple of years where you've seen a large growth or something that really happened within the your industry mm. where you will say, okay, now we're going further than mm. we ever thought yeah. we would go before. Yeah, I mean, there's there's lots. And, and 
Um, so, I mean, I, I talked earlier on about the internet to planes. It's amazing how something that only a few years ago didn't exist, now everyone expects, right? So if you certainly if you're in the US and you get on board a plane in the US, you pretty much expect that you're going to have the ability to connect to the internet. I find that pretty incredible, given that five years ago, that wasn't even that wasn't even in people's kind of brains. And, and, and there's still a view, you know, a bunch of people have the view that, well, when I got on board a plane, that was the one time where I didn't have to connect. And I, you know, I'm just happy to sit and watch movies. But increasingly, it's the case that people want to be connected to their lives. And sometimes that's just being connected to Netflix, being connected to their own content, to what they want to watch rather than rather than the movies that the airline uh, has kind of laid on for you. So, uh, so that I find incredible that five years ago, there was zero expectation that you would have connectivity uh, on board planes. And now there's a full expectation. And we, we're a big, big part of that. We serve, you know, our satellites serve about 90% of that, um, of those customers at some point during their journeys, which is exciting. Cruise is another one that I'd point to. So uh, we started a relationship with Royal Caribbean back in uh, kind of 2011, 2012 timeframe. And they came to us and they said, look, uh, at the end of our cruises, we give passengers a form. Back then, it was still a form. It wasn't online. Uh, and we asked them to comment on their experience. How was the food? And how was the cabin? And how was the casino? And how was the entertainment? And we didn't have internet on the form, even though there was an internet service. And they kept getting forms back with people writing, you know, the internet's terrible and it cost me a fortune. And what was happening is you, you would be sharing sort of 10 megabits per second with 5,000 people. And I share 10 megabits per second with my daughter, and that's already a problem, right? So when you're trying to share that with 5,000 people, it's a terrible experience, and people were frustrated, and they wouldn't go on cruises because they felt like they were getting ripped off. So we went to Royal Caribbean and said, look, why don't we deliver a gigabit to a ship, or half a gigabit, so 100 times more bandwidth to that ship, and let's find out what happens when we do that. And and, and Royal were kind of okay let you know they were very focused on guest experience and so we tried it now every cruise ship you go on won't say every but we've completely transformed the industry now rather than thinking about internet internet connectivity as a profit center now cruise lines think about it as a as a key enabler to have people connect to facebook and you know share their experience with it's it's some of the best marketing that their custom that that the cruise lines can get because their customers are sharing their experiences on a global basis they're raising kind of the expectation of what it takes and, and what it's like to go on a cruise ship to a whole bunch of people but they the young population now that's going cruising is incredible and it, if if you don't have those kind of services that doesn't happen so I always get excited when I see that the thing that really to me um, you know the stories that I love the most are the ones where we have connected populations that are otherwise not connected so a good example of that being um, we relatively recently connected a couple of refugee camps in Africa so Refugee camps, the average lifespan in a refugee camp is 20 years, which is incredible to me. I mean, you tend to think about refugee camps as people are there for six months or what have you. 20 years is the average stay in a refugee camp. And if you could imagine being in a refugee camp, sort of being exposed to a situation where you've been displaced and you don't have access to connectivity, you don't have the ability to improve your situation, start a business, connect with your family, do all of the things that we take for granted, um, 
that's that's rough and so one of the amazing things that we can do is go have a big impact on people's lives and help people change their own situations and those are the things that as i I get a big buzz out of you know we're connecting airlines and connecting cruise ships but when we go make a massive difference to people's lives and change their circumstances that's kind of the stuff that, that 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 i get excited excited about so earlier you mentioned um, space industry mm. and um, how do you see the collaboration between uh, SES, mm. um, the space agency, but also the Luxembourgish government going forward? Yeah. One of the things that I, I love about the last few years is, is space. The magic of space has come back into people's into people's minds you know if you kind of go back to the moon landings and with the 50-year anniversary I was lucky enough to meet Buzz Aldrin um, a few months ago who was over here in Luxembourg Uh, and that you know I I I wasn't around at those those times but when I look back at that you there's a great book called The Right Stuff that people should read if they haven't read it Uh, First Man the sort of recent movies you know space has come back into people's minds uh, and the innovation now that's going on in space is pretty incredible it's not just communications the kind of stuff that we're doing but earth observation so understanding the impact that we're having on the earth and how can we uh, protect and preserve the earth for future generations um, the idea that Elon Musk has of you know becoming a multi-planet multi-planetary species and kind of uh, colonizing and and settling mars and the like i find that inspiring even if i'm not going to be the first uh volunteer um and yeah i i think kind of the innovation in space at the moment it's 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 become cool again from my standpoint it always has been i've always found the idea of um delivering services from just this incredibly harsh environment. We, we kind of take it for granted, but our satellites go through so much uh, in terms of extremes of temperature and radiation and all sorts that are in the kind of environment that they live in. Um, and so, yeah, I think the, the, the challenge of space is something that makes us better as humans, uh, and that's a, an important idea. And the innovation around that, is great and the fact that so much of that is happening here in Luxembourg is 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 you know makes it a fun place to be right now. How do you market yourself then to Luxembourg or just outside of Luxembourg? Mm. Are you going to schools as well yeah. right, where you where you promote because obviously that's one of the things that the space agency does quite a bit. Yeah. Do you see that there's a lot of interest um, of the Luxembourgish population about your services that you provide? Yeah, I mean I I think so. I think SES is 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 a big part. It's it's one of the big success stories here in Luxembourg. And so I think people, and, and a number of people in Luxembourg were kind of early investors in the company, many of whom still hold the investment that they made in SES, you know, back from the early 80s. Uh, and so, no, I think it's it's very much in people's minds. Um, but, I, but I think, you know, and, and so when the country sort of thinks about how to take that forward, I think there's a lot of... Um, enthusiasm and, and understanding of that well let's generate the next SES and the next you know the next company and the next thing that can 
that we can be proud of as a country. From our standpoint, a lot of the reason for outreach to schools and, and universities is to get the, the talent to you know, develop us as a business. So we have relationships with SNT here in, in Luxembourg, but also with MIT and a number of other universities around the world to you know, have them work on technologies that are interesting for us, but also to you know, get a, um, a, new, a new bunch of talent into the company to, to drive us forward. And that sort of speaks to the innovation point that you were talking about earlier. So if we, um, if we get more talent uh, to Luxembourg as an expat, mm. what do you like most about Luxembourg? Do you know, I, so I've been here, uh, living here now a couple of years. I've been... Um, associated and, and sort of part of SES since since 2006, uh, but it's only the last couple of years that I've been here in Luxembourg. I live in Limpetsburg, uh, which I find to be a fun neighbourhood. Um, it's it's easy for me to get here. It's pretty cosmopolitan. It's a very international environment. Um, I love the the countryside. Actually, it's something that you really appreciate when you're here and. Uh, previously, I've been living in the Netherlands. It's really flat. Uh, I love the fact that, you know, here in Luxembourg, just a few hundred yards from my front door, I'm in woods and hills. And I bought myself a mountain bike as kind of the first thing I did when I was here. So that that is a lot of fun. I think uh, everybody in Luxembourg has one or two mountain yeah, bikes. Yeah, I think that's true. <laughs> I think that's true. In in the Netherlands, everyone has a bike, but it's a very, it's for a very different purpose. And so, yeah, it was surprising and, and somewhat of a shock to my legs when I found the, the hills of Luxembourg when I first got on the bike. So for those uh, planning of moving to Luxembourg or, or visiting, what would you suggest to them? Do you know, I, I, I'd almost say nothing because it's that easy. It's, it's really, you feel, or at least my experience was I, I felt at home here very quickly. Um, uh, I haven't discovered anything that's, uh, that's, that's been particularly difficult. I think, I think the, the, the fact that my first expat experience, if you like, although I, I feel less and less like an, an expat and more and more like a European every day, despite my horrible language skills, uh, which we talked about a little bit earlier. Um, but, you know, my first expat experience was living in the Netherlands. And I always describe that to my friends as sort of living abroad for beginners because uh, everyone speaks English and everything's really super easy. And I've had the same experience here in Luxembourg. It's been awesome. Okay. Thank you very much, Steve. Thank um, you. And hopefully we're going to speak again in a, in a couple of months' time and see where SES is going. Let, let's speak in May. We can figure out whether we've won the league or not. Well, I'm hoping so. <laughs> Thanks very much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Lux Unplugged podcast. Please share this podcast with friends and family and leave us a review on iTunes. Also, please don't forget to visit our website, luxunplugged.com. And see you next time.